Welcome to episode 52 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conan. And this week's episode is inspired by issues that Mandy has been having and posting about on Facebook. So Mandy... What's new? Like, this whole podcast is inspired by my bullshit life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, your role uh, is sort of person who has the most poly experience asking difficult questions and then we think tank them, so <sighs> Okay, I don't think it's necessarily I'm a, bad. I'm the drama llama, it's okay. <laughs> most successful dater. <laughs> Those are the same. They're same, same, same. Always same. the same. In any crowd, the friend of yours who has the, is the most successful at dating has the most drama. I do it. It doesn't mean I'm successful at it. I just do it. I said dating. I think dating success is about just dating. Like how many dating? Like oh yeah, yeah seriously. Relationship success is a different question. But you're the most okay. successful dater of our group. Like every time, I'm like I've dated one person. You're like I've dated six, and I'm like I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Very jealous. I also have boobs. So it's a little easier for me. (laughs) So what happened was I had a discussion with a partner of mine. I was, I was explaining how I was feeling about stuff and my nesting partner and I have kind of what we've pegged as default time. And I think we've talked about that before on the podcast where you have dedicated time with your partner and then you kind of have default time when you're a nesting partner and you, and that's just like sitting around the house and doing whatever, not necessarily spending quality time with them. So, you know, we have to communicate in that default time and we've kind of always had this issue and it does keep coming up where when I talk to him in that default time he sometimes has his phone in front of his face or he's playing video games and is not paying attention and I have to specifically say hey look at me I need to talk to you can you put your phone down for a minute to have a full-on conversation with him sometimes and his defense to that is we're in default time I feel like it impedes on my autonomy and my default time when you expect me to drop everything I'm doing every time you want to say something to me or you need my help with something or something along those lines can we schedule that so it's not impeding on that time and that can be specific time that we're we're doing that and we're talking to that. So I felt like he was kind of using like his autonomy. Like, dude, I don't think that's your autonomy. I think that's just being a human. Like, I think that that's just being respectful of me asking that of you. And he and I have been very, quote, autonomous. You know, we have a very autonomous, we have a very egalitarian relationship. I don't feel like I'm impeding on his autonomy when I expect him to stop playing his video game so we can talk about something important. Or if we're watching television together, it's not that dedicated time that we talked about, but it's aggravating when like we're watching a show and he's playing his video game at the same time and I'll laugh at something and he'll be like, what happened? Hmm. I'm not... (laughs) No. (laughs) Either watch the fucking show. (laughs) I'm not doing that. Or he doesn't know what's going on in the show halfway in because he didn't see the first 10 minutes of it because he was finishing it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I feel like he's throwing autonomy at me as a defense for acting shitty. And so then my question was, how much autonomy is too much autonomy? And can you have too much autonomy in a relationship where it's pushing the other person away? Because even though you're 
first, middle, and last name. That's you. You're autonomous. You're an autonomous being. You're a person. But you're also a partner and a father and all of these other things as well. And you can't really like flip those switches as to what's on and what's not on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So the, the question that I posed was, can you have too much autonomy? I don't have a nesting partner. It's been a long time since I've had a nesting partner. And it was when I was still married and monogamous and it was toxic. And so I feel like I don't have a whole lot of insight on how this can affect nesting partners. So as a relationship anarchist, solo polyamorous person, my thought is that it is based on personal preference and what you want to give to the relationship and what you define your relationship as. If your relationship is very autonomous and you come together during some times, it's different than wanting to be together all the time. The original post was, I'd like to hear what people think about autonomy. I've preached autonomy for years, given lectures on it and presented workshops on it, but I'm beginning to think it's an excuse. Mm-hmm. I feel like he uses it as an excuse to check out. When this, of course, is what motivated us to do the episode what we've already done on the downsides of autonomy, which is autonomy is not a cudgel. If you haven't listened to that, it covers a lot of different issues, although this is going to cover similar ones. The biggest difference is I think this one, I'm going to actually do some of the deep dive into the philosophical framework of autonomy in order to answer the question. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. Wright's discourse comes out of the Enlightenment era thinking after the Black Plague, which is actually a hilarious parallel to now, potentially. <laughs> this is our enlightenment period that's going to come after this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because what it did is like what you're seeing now where we're in a system where we've been more and more hearing how much the people on top are really the wealth creators and then suddenly the people on bottom can't work and the entire top is collapsing horrifically and you're going, oh, you can't make wealth without all of your slave labor and the people at the bottom are realizing like the people on top would like us to work even if they really have to pay for it because they need our work in order to have anything. And of course, they also lost a third of the population and so you could just demand whatever you wanted to fill the job because it was infinitely more jobs and there were people to do them, which created a massive push towards the middle, really the first middle class control moving from nobility to commoners for the first time in meaningful ways across all of Europe simultaneously. And one of the things that you saw was the philosophy of the Enlightenment was about, you know, about like humanism, so-called at the time, which we now, and I've said this before, we don't use humanism anymore, we use feminism because humanism ended up being just about white landed men and and nobody else. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Because that's who's human. Michael. (laughs) (laughs) And those people created arguments that were necessary to say sort of why are wealthy white merchant men as important as nobles? And so they started saying things like, and they were, of course, these are people who actually lived through nobility. And so they wanted to make sure they weren't going to go back again. And so they came up with the idea of rights to protect themselves. So, okay, we're going to have these rights to autonomy, these rights to free speech. And if you want our cooperation, you're going to have to sort of co-sign these rights. But that's similar to kind of how we constructed our relationship is we saw what was going around us, how everybody was pollying wrong and said, okay, we want to set these autonomy boundaries, these egalitarian boundaries for each other or for ourselves rather. And I just, I, I 
feel like they've been taken to a place they were never meant to be taken to. Well, hold on. We're only halfway through the story of the evolution of rights. Oh, okay. Continue. Because it goes somewhere really important and very dark afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So this led to an inherent problem because all of the countries everywhere were the kind of countries that tried to conquer people for wealth and money and would be very soon heading into colonialism. During this rebuilding period, rights got this really great deal and it helped this burgeoning middle class. And then after they finished rebuilding, you go into sort of the European golden age of exploration and they start finding all these non-white people that they want to conquer and steal everything from. And up until this point, you could just say, if I win, I'm better than you or my group is better than you or my more noble than you or my king is more noble than you or God is on my side. But your whole populace has a moral structure based on rights now. Right. Yeah, okay. So now if you want to justify a war where you have to go and murder everyone in America, for instance, you have to explain to people why that's not immoral if everyone has these inalienable rights that they need. And it actually turns out that rights are going to be the justification for most of the atrocities, not the defense against them. Think about how when America invaded Iraq after 9-11 and the claim was they have a right to democracy. (laughs) Yeah. People have a right to self-determining government, so we're going to go give it to them at gunpoint. Right. Yeah. So we're going to take all the rest of their rights away to give them that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a really difficult situation because obviously the situation there was not desirable, I don't think. I think we made it worse. I don't think we made it better. And I think that's pretty much the general consensus. We ended up destabilizing the whole region rather than actually helping. But I don't really want to get into like a bunch of what we, you know, foreign policy questions. But the point is that there was literally the line that George W. Bush said, freedom is on the march. That was the sort of slogan that they would push. Like we're saving them from totalitarian government. I mean, we were using targeted smart bombing. By the way, smart bombing means like 20% of the bombs hit their target as opposed to like none. So, I mean, we're destroying massive amounts of housing, civilian spaces. We destroyed all the infrastructure, like dams by accident that they needed. Like most of the rebuilding we had to do was stuff we blew up by accident trying to get there. So this was the same thing that was happening at the time. Like you can read this entire treatise that John Locke has. And John Locke, by the way, is the philosopher who most of the Constitution and the rights built in the Bill of Rights, etc. is based off of. Laid out in painstaking detail why we absolutely had the right to come over and steal all the Native Americans' land because they weren't using it appropriately. Says us. Yeah. So when people say like, oh, rights are important. Rights are great. I'm like, really? Rights have been used to dispossess more people of things in history and continue to be used to do that more than they empower people. Mm -hmm. This is a case where people who were oppressed looked at what the oppressors were saying and, and then tried to use that against them. And in some cases had small victories that are like visually clear, but systematically non-existent. So the the claim is, well, if you think everyone has rights, then how can you have slaves? Right. Mm -hmm. And eventually that argument was successful in eliminating legal and obvious slavery, but we retained a clause that allowed you to be used for slave labor if you were in prison. We created a police force that had not existed before that time. Before then, we just had like sheriffs and local volunteer forces for important major issues. We took that police force, we semi-militarized it, we targeted on oppressed communities, and we end up in a state today where one third of all African-American men end up in prison 
prison. And if you end up in prison, we take away your right to vote. And while you're in prison, we force you to do slave labor for free, basically like $1.15 an hour or something insane like this. And so you talk about like, oh, the 35th compromise where slaves got to count as people, but they couldn't vote. And so you get lots of congressmen, but you don't actually have people voting for them. So this very small collective of white people primarily get to vote for a large group of congressmen that control a huge chunk of the government is absolutely completely alive and well today. Who are all old white men as well, all the congressmen. Yeah. Because that's all that vote, or that's all that are allowed to vote. <laughs> so of course they're going to vote for old white men. So this is, is very alive and well today, and it is all doing fine under rights discourse. Rights discourse is not affecting this in any way. So there's been some really interesting philosophical movement on this front. And in fact, nobody uses rights discourse internationally to look at who needs help anymore. That's actually like a good guy. Major countries might do it as an explanation for why they're going to go invade somebody. But like UNICEF doesn't do that. What they use instead is they use something called capabilities or capacities. And what this means is the actual access you have to options as measured by your ability to take them if you wanted. Let me show you the difference. In America, you have the right to have health care if you can afford it. Right. Most people can't afford it. So most people actually have no capacity to get health care, even though they have the right to it. That's a very useless right if you can't use it. It's like rights with stipulations. Yeah, they look at capacities. Like people in America say we have a right to an education, you just have to pay for it yourself. Which means that basically you can have an education if you are of a certain demographic group that's privileged to have access to that education most of the time. Right. Or you have right to the pursuit of happiness. Do you though? <laughs> um, yeah, what the hell is if that? If a third of the male members of your community are going to be arrested and felonized if the school to prison pipeline exists. Right. If your right to vote will be polled for any old thing. Do you really have the right to the pursuit of happiness or is it more illusory? And that's why looking at capacities is so important. So it looks at what you can actually accomplish, not what you ostensibly have access to. And so I'm really critical of any time I run into rights discourse because I very rarely see people applying rights discourse to help people. Just I very rarely see someone jumping on and being like, hey, that's her autonomy. Don't do that to them. They have the right to do whatever they want. Autonomy. Yeah. I usually only see it when people are doing what Mandy's talking about, which is where people get on and go, something bad has happened. I have a right to autonomy. Or something I don't like. Right. And rights are a confusing concept to me anyway, because rights assume, they have to assume, some objective truth to the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as a person that doesn't believe in objective truth, and I don't see any coherent intellectual way to ground objective truth, and the fact that people have been trying to do exactly that for 10,000 years and never succeeding, to me, indicates it's not really very doable makes me wonder what the value of it is because in the end all you can really say about rights if you believe in rights is that having rights makes people on average happier but it's not having rights that makes people happier it's people actually being able to exercise those rights i.e capacities mm -hmm. and therefore access the things promised by the rights to a greater or lesser degree is really the thing that actually impacts people that's the whole problem is that you can have lots of rights, theoretically, scare quote, <laughs> but if you can't access any of the things in it, then what's the value of those rights? It'd be like people going, we have the right to bear arms. Okay, we're going to leave that right alone, but we're going to ban the manufacture of bullets yeah, or imports, <laughs> but you have the right to bear arms. I mean, yeah, there's some people out there that have a lot of ammo, so they're going to be good for a while. But for most of us, that's sort of the equivalent of not 
being able to bear arms. Right. Here I'm not weighing in for or against that particular right per se. But that's also a weird one and shows sort of where rights get very bizarre because almost no country in the world has the right to bear arms except for America. There's never been a philosophical right to bear arms. Like you'll never read a treatise on why humans always should have the right to have weapons. Yeah. So there's just nothing like that. That's a sort of a uniquely American phenomena. And of course, the line of the thing is the right to a well-regulated militia, not to individual people with giant hordes of guns. Right. And that was meant to protect states from being conquered by the federal government. That's what that was meant to do. Interesting. It was meant to make each state sovereign. And that's long gone. There is no state that can hold out right now against the federal government. Yeah, no. If the federal government decides to fight the states, the states are done. Mm, right. So- <laughs> So that's not happening regardless. But So we can debate whether those are good rights or bad rights. But the point is, how does something get to be a right? What does that mean? What does that even aim at? And capacities makes more sense. Even if you wanted to push for the rights to bear arms, and this is something that people who are pushing constantly for the right to bear arms are running into, but without understanding it, which is that they're saying, okay, well, you're saying I had the right to bear arms, but I can't have this grouping of guns type of guns that I want. Well, you have the right to bear arms, but your capacity to do so is shockingly limited. You know? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, that's not the same and it's not as helpful. It doesn't really measure what you have access to. And also, and this is really, really important to me, almost all rights, like all rights, really, as phrased in any kind of discourse are between people and institutions. Yes. Usually governments. Right. The right to free speech is not between you and your friends. Mm -hmm. It's between you and a governing body of some sort. Yeah. Or maybe you and your employer. Yeah. Like these sorts of things. It's meant to deal with massive power dynamics, specifically power dynamics that include the legal use of force, is the core of rights discourse. Again, in all the philosophical writings about freedom of speech, which mostly come out of actually a lot of utilitarian work, it's very clear that the authors think that social censure is pivotal to letting free speech work, i.e. the government isn't allowed to attack you, but other people ought to if what you're saying is horrible. And that this is what they call the marketplace of ideas, right? So you get to say your opinion, whatever it is without being arrested or thrown in jail but then everyone else goes oh no 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 to that that's a bad opinion (laughs) and won't hire you or doesn't like you or you know says i don't want to be around you that's exactly what free speech is supposed to be by literally everything ever written about the philosophical work of free speech the entire concept that you're leaning into when you say it's not fair that people block me or i got fired for saying i don't like gay people is wrong that's exactly how free speech is supposed to work the only thing that wasn't supposed to happen is the government did not come and throw you in jail right right and the government didn't do that so you're good the government (laughs) did not show up and arrest you for saying that you don't like gay people so like congratulations you have free speech but the society censured you because that is a bad opinion that is antisocial and damages the fabric of society people's capacities and our general health and well-being Mm -hmm. so rights framed versus a government are much more coherent because they're part of a governmental system so our governmental system includes fear of the government and fear of the federal government specifically and therefore right to bear arms is coherent inside of that narrative but it's not like a universal human right it's a right that's inside of this metastructure and so it's really weird to me when people are like you're impinging my autonomy i'm like have i kidnapped you have i removed you physically from this room right did i drug you did i do anything that exercised a physical force against you to accomplish the removal of your autonomy no i threatened to be mad at you which is totally not about autonomy (laughs) 
Autonomy means, literally means, self-governance. So unless you're in a non-consensual slave-master dynamic, you have not given away your autonomy if your partner is mad at you for something that they don't like. Yeah, and just to kind of water that down. I know a lot of times that when we talk about stuff, we say, you know, this doesn't include abusive relationships, etc. Sure. But this does include that as well, because your autonomy can be taken away then and it can be mm-hmm. impeded on as well. And I said that, right? So if you're using physical violence. Right. But I mean, and it's any type of power dynamic in your relationship, not just those specific ones where it's abusive, any type of power dynamic where say there's one income in the house. No, hold on. You said whether or not it's abusive. If it is an actual impingement of autonomy, that's abuse. Okay. That's what I was kind of getting at. If you've gotten to the point that I literally can't make decisions without jeopardizing my physical safety or my mental safety in a sense that a clinical psychiatrist would call abusive. Okay. So because some people are going to say it's not safe for me to break up with someone that I love or to lose my cohabitation situation with my kids, etc. And that's not what we normally talk about when we talk about safety. You're not just automatically entitled to forever being a roommate with a person that you like that doesn't necessarily like you regardless of how you treat them. Right. But if you are in a situation where the threat would be something that in a clinical situation they would call abusive and that's what's leveled against your behavior, that's an actual denial of autonomy because someone is leveling force against you. Right. So that could be the threat of homelessness. That could be the threat of significant alienation from family and friends. That could be the leveraging of mental disorders or physical disorders against you. That Mm -hmm. can be actual physical violence. That can be actual physical abuse. This is what autonomy is meant to protect you from, the discourse around autonomy. Not to play video games on your phone and ignore your partner. Right. So (laughs) self-governance, like most things, is the right to choose how you're going to behave. Everyone else is not immediately forced to accept your behavior and then to respond to you in the way in which you wish they would respond to you. Right. Autonomy, at its best, the concept of autonomy is meant to protect people from abuses of power. So if you're not talking about an abuse of power, you're not talking about an autonomy violation. Can, can, I'm, I'm going to pull a Sarah here and say, can you repeat that one more time for the people in the back? Because I think that that was a very powerful statement. So if you're not talking about an abuse of power, you're not talking about an autonomy violation. So really that's the upshot is that I started in the wrong place because I have a dog in the fight in the capacities versus rights discourse, but that's not even what we're talking about because we're not talking about leveraging power. We're not talking about abusive level power in most cases. Right. So we're not actually talking about autonomy. I think we're talking about relational respect. Whether or not it's relational respect is a different question as well, because as Sarah said, it depends on the bounds of your relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, if people want to get into a relationship and the claim is nobody gets to even get mad at each other for how we behave, and then you start getting mad at the other person, well, like, then you've stepped outside of the bounds of the relationship. Right. And if you don't have that, then you don't have that. So that's that's a whole question for your specific relationship. The question really is, why does one feel the need to to defend oneself on the grounds of autonomy in these cases. The first question should be for the partner saying, you're infringing on my autonomy, mm-hmm. or even for the partner being told that, my first question would be, do you feel that I am being abusive? Yeah. Am I leveraging something that I'm not seeing that's an actual abuse against you? Like, am I using my position as our social pivot to all of our friends to alienate you so that you have to go through me to have friends, and then I'm using that to control you? Right. Am I the only income come in the household and I'm basically saying if you don't play it my way I'll throw you out on the 
the street without giving you time to find a place to live. Is there an abuse happening? Right. And the person says, you know, no, your behavior isn't abusive. Then we're not talking about autonomy. Well, then it's just a matter of, I just don't like it. Yeah, so then the question is, let's talk about relationship fit. Then it's just like any other relationship issue. Right. Like, okay, we have this issue where we are fighting over something. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that fight is. But we're not talking about autonomy. You might be talking about how independent or interdependent you enjoy being in a relationship. Yeah. And you might be talking about a mismatch in how interdependent you feel the other person wants to be in a relationship. And that's something that you have to negotiate for inside of the relationship. But the other person's needs or desires and, you know, around that are as legitimate as their needs and desires around anything else and can be just as frustrating. Right. One of the most common issues is libido mismatch. Like one person wants to have sex three times a week and one person once a week. And that's that's really rough on both people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you have to negotiate and work out. But what you don't generally hear is the person, either person citing autonomy as their defense in this situation, unless they're being forced into it. So if you're being forced into, I've heard people use the term in bad relationships of like wifely duties, for instance, then like you are in an abusive relationship. You need a counselor. You need help. You need a battered women's shelter. You need to get the hell out. That's definitely infringing on your autonomy. Yeah, that is legitimately infringing on your autonomy. They're trying (laughs) to use social pressure to force you into a physical act that you don't want to be in and deny you your consent. Right. I know it is a form of rape. That is an autonomy impingement. Yeah. So that's very different. Right. Than a relationship agreement. Than the other person being sad that they're not getting to be with you as much as they would like to be sexually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it may be that it's not a good relationship fit if you feel too bad about the fact that they feel bad all the time and they can't either not feel bad all the time and not hide it from you, then that's going to be a poor relationship because it's just going to make both of you sad. If it's the only relationship, I mean, being poly, there are ways around that, but... Right. That's actually very dependent because I personally experience separate libidos for separate partners. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And my having another partner usually does not lower and often, if anything, raises my libido for my other partners Mm -hmm. and does not change my sense of sadness or disconnect if it's a mismatch in how much the two of us would like to be intimate with each other. Right. So, I mean, it can. For some people, it's more interchangeable. The sexual energy is more interchangeable and that's a good workaround. I know a lot of great relationships that are based on that premise. Like we don't match sexually, but we match relationship wise. And I would love to match with someone else sexually, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Again, that's very dependent on the relationship. I just didn't want anyone who's in a poly relationship who can't burn off that energy with other partners feeling guilty. Right. And of course, also, you can't just get a partner. Yeah. It's always a very complex issue because we know that people have certain physical needs that if they're not met, make them sick. We've talked about this before. But you also can't, you don't have a right to date someone. You don't have a right to sexual access to someone, no matter how much it might be a need of yours. You can't just force it. You can't be like, well, my partner only wants to have sex once a week. I want to have sex three times a week. I'm going to have a partner tomorrow. You know, some people can do that. Some people can't. It just really depends. I was just going to say that I've definitely had a partner say, I would like to have more sex. I say then, awesome, go have more sex (laughs) is my answer. But their response was, no, I would really like to be intimate more with you. Because there's definitely have wanted to be intimate with some partners and not with other partners Mm -hmm. at times. Yeah. So I get that too. That's a good note. That just because they want to have sex, it doesn't mean they want to have sex with just anybody. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. five times a week. That's an important distinction that for some people that's not interchangeable, that energy. Right. Those people are not interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what you're using sex for, a lot of it can be bonding or an expression of other emotions. Like if you spend the week working with someone as a partner and your partnership partly manifests as a desire to engage physically as part of the bonding structure, that person didn't do 10 great things for me this week. You did. I would like to be with you. Right. That's the appropriate expression of that gratitude in my brain. Yeah. You're who I'm feeling this week. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's about relationship match and mismatch. If you feel the yeah. need to express that way and the other partner does not have the ability to express that way, you have to decide if you can live in the relationship without that met desire. Right. And that's what I would say is the situation with you and the nesting partner that you're talking about is that they have a desire to be able to completely check out. Yeah. And you have the desire that they should not be completely checked out. That's something that you guys can discuss. Actually, this is interesting now that we've gone so full circle because this is something Lissa and I deal with. I live, as I've talked about before, in a very small place with five total inhabitants. Right. Six. Six total inhabitants now. We got a new baby. Five and a half. <laughs> and a couple of small pets, dog, cat. Right. And so, as you can imagine, being able to have complete access to my own internal space is not... It's not conventionally available. There's nowhere that I can be in the house that I am free from people popping up and just even needing to just, you know, negotiate space around me to get into a kitchen or something. So what Lissa and I have worked out, because I sometimes need that space just to think, is that I have these noise-canceling, very obviously large construction headset, that construction yellow, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that connects to my iPad. And if I have those on, she treats me like I don't exist. So that there's a physical signal that I I have decided to completely check the fuck out. That it's like the equivalent of going, I'm going to go out for a while and relax outside. Right. I don't feel like you'd be mad at your nesting partner if they were like, I'm going to go outside and sit on a park bench and relax, you know, and we're just gone. Right. The problem is that you don't know they're gone and they're gone. And part of this is also a, a sensory mismatch, which is also weird. Like Lissa only hears things that are preceded by the word Lissa. So we're in a room and there are three conversations going on. I'm hearing all three conversations and in my head participating participating in all three conversations and we'll like laugh at jokes from across the room etc right Lisa is not there at all she's only gonna pay attention when you're we're specifically talking to her so even if the content couldn't be about anyone but her like you're like oh wait are we going to the doctor later today <laughs> nothing right and you have to go Lisa oh I thought you were on your headset with your friend on the internet yeah. why would I ask my friend yeah. on the internet if we're going to the doctor <laughs> Like what? The content there just makes no sense. And see, my problem is like, we'll be sitting in the living room and watching TV or something and he'll be, I'm putting my hand in front of my face as like a phone in front of my face. And because he's in the room with me, I assume that if I start talking, he's going to process it because his body is in the room with me. Does that make sense? That's certainly a frustration that I have. And I'll say something and then stop like you did. Yeah. You're like, hello. <laughs> and I'll be like, hey, hello. And he's like, oh. What? Because yeah. he's completely checked out. Right. Like only physically there. The only thing that's there is his body in the room with me at that time. Yeah. Now he could be doing 72 different things on his phone. He's playing a game. He's chatting with three different people. He's checking his email. He's, you know, he's doing all these different things, none of which are in that room. <laughs> 
And they're all rotational though. Like, like he's doing click this button, respond to this person. That's the only person I'm thinking about. All the other inputs are off. Click this button, respond to this person. All the other inputs are off. Right. It is rotational. You're correct. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is that actual interaction is not rotational. And this is the reason why if you have a device in front of you, the device always wins because the device information is packaged so that you don't lose it when you're not paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to be able to be like, all right, and now I have this information and I'll go back to it. Whereas you're trying to like process everything happening around you. And, and this is something that Lisa and I struggle with the that direction as well. I think we we're talking the other day, I think on the podcast about how she was asking me, like when she talks to me to put my tablet down and talk to her. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that. You know, and I said, yeah, okay. You know, I, I will start learning to put the tablet down when you talk to me because I obviously I can't process as well. And it's also, you know, an issue where it's frustrating because if you don't have an agreement about how you're going to handle it, it gets very frustrating very quickly because the big fight that we got in was ironic because I had reached a point in the game that I was in where I just had to like, you know, how like sometimes to progress, you have to click through like 72 screens. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that. I was just offhandedly clicking and I wasn't listening or paying attention to the screen at all. I was just clicking over and over again with my right thumb. What game were you playing? Were they just telling you the story? I was in original GameCube Animal Crossing <laughs> and there's a train that you can take between towns and there's just this random animal cat that uh, has a discussion with you to pass the time, but it's the same six discussions. So after you've played the game for a decade, like it's just not remotely interesting. <laughs> it's just seven minutes of filler that you want to click through because it's the same garbage again. So I was just doing that and she was talking to me and she didn't really like the answers she was getting and she felt like I was playing a game and not paying attention to her because she didn't know what I was doing. And then I got angry at her for getting angry at me for not paying attention when I knew I was paying attention 100% of the time right now. But there have been many cases where I wasn't paying attention. So the problem becomes she just can't tell if I am or am not paying attention when I'm on the device. Yes, that is, that is, you hit the nail right on the head. Mm -hmm. Because I'll say that, I'm like, you didn't hear a fucking thing I said. And he'll go, yes, I did. And repeat it all back to me. Well, I don't know that you're paying attention. This time. This time, because two days ago you went, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think that that's an autonomy question. I think that that's a question that should begin a discussion about what that space should look like. And honestly, I think if somebody is going to be like, I am not open to having talks about anything, like you're saying he wanted to schedule the time with you to have these discussions. Right. Not everything has to be scheduled. And for most of us, not everything can be scheduled. That was my argument is why does everything have to be scheduled with you? Where is the spontaneous, like we... <laughs> We don't have a relationship if everything has to be scheduled. Like, yeah. we have a calendar is what we have. We don't... <laughs> And that's, that was my, my argument. I think signaling then becomes really important. I would be like, look, we're getting you this headset. It's a great headset. It has wonderful sound resolution. If you have this shit on, I'll just pretend you're not here. I don't care if he puts a posty note on his forehead. Whatever his signal is. Yeah. You know, basically say, I would like to create the ability for you to physically indicate you're checked out. Yeah. And if you have not chosen to do that because you want to have one foot in the pool, then part of choosing to have a foot in the pool is that you are committed to actually paying attention when and if I try and engage you. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be in the room and you want me to know you're not here, right. like you said, put a post-it note on your forehead, wear a specific bright glued blue t-shirt, have headphones that indicate, whatever the system is, right. have the prearranged signal that says, I need to be checked out right now. And of course, you also, to go with that, have to have a method for accessing them if you need them, but you try not to use it. Right. Flailing the arms in the air 
Kermit style. The first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is that, that works for you as a couple. Lisa and I, it's just she just stands close to me until I acknowledge her, basically. She just stands and stares at you? <laughs> More or less, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an actual emergency. She's like, it's an emergency. You know, I mean, yeah, right. the, the yelling and the, but you know, it's not normally an emergency. It's more like I just need to talk to you about something. Right. So it's nice because it also allows me to mentally finish whatever task I'm in and decide to participate. So like if I'm in the middle of talking to someone and that's what I'm really engrossed in and then she clearly needs my attention, like I can get to a stopping point. So it's not so jarring as like yeah. as someone demanding your attention. Mm-hmm. The upshot is it's only your autonomy if you're like, look, if you don't listen to me completely and put the tablet down, whenever I talk to you, I'm throwing you out of the house. Right. Because my name's on the lease and that's how it is. And you can't do anything about it. Like it's being held against you. Yeah. Now it's an autonomy impingement. This is a relationship fit question. It's what kind of relationship do you want? Where you start seeing crosses and autonomy is when you start combining households, incomes, mm-hmm. and you don't have clear cut contractual rules for what happens if anything goes wrong. Right. On the one hand, in the example of a household where someone owns the house and a couple people live with them, I don't even think it would be terrible to write up what amounts to a rental agreement that says, you know, I pay $10 a month in rent and I have this number of months to leave if something goes wrong, if you don't want to charge them rent or something like that so that the, so that it's clear what you do and don't have, you know. And the other time you do run into autonomy is in an implied threat scenario, like this person owns all of the stuff, I live in the house, they have never said they'd throw me out, but I feel like they might throw me out, especially if they've said like, I threw out another partner, like at some point, or have thrown out another partner. Mm-hmm. Then it's one of those things where they'll like, well, I never threatened to do that. And you're like, yeah. And that's what we were talking about last time about power dynamics, where we were saying, like, even if you don't exercise a power dynamic, like if it's there and it's not addressed, it's still there. Of course, like the classical story about how poly people are always portrayed in the media, where the older husband decides he wants a new hot wife and he owns everything and tells his wife, like, I'm going to leave you or we're going to go with this person. And Mm. it's not about like, I'm not trying to control you. I just but the person's like, but I'm worried I'll have no financial security. And they don't offer like, I'll give you half of our money. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they don't clearly stipulate you'll be okay, I'll take care of you, it'll be fair, and therefore the person is being held against their retirement, whether or not they want to be polyamorous or not. That is an autonomy infringement. That is abuse. That is not okay. You can have unintentional abuse. I think that for it to be an autonomy issue, it would have to be such that if you described it to a clinical therapist, they would qualify it as abusive. Yeah. You know, so even in the case where you have chosen not to tell your partner that you'll take care of them if things don't work out, but you're their sole source of support, I would call that abusive because that person just, they live in an insane state of ambiguity, completely dependent upon your good graces, yeah. which you've never confirmed for them, you would protect them in. Yeah. That's a really weird and messed up scenario, even if you never thought about it. So you can have totally social tense and just think it goes without saying that I would take care of you. But it doesn't in fact. You need to say it. And better write it in a contract so that they don't have to know that they're depending upon your good graces and you don't change your mind later. Really the most people tend to be talking about when they say like I want more autonomy is what they mean is I don't want to be codependent. That's probably a good point. You know that they're responding and and rebelling against the overcultures representation of ideal monogamous situations as heavily codependent. If you invite one part of the couple, you invite all the parts of a couple. Right. Which, by the way, is a hilarious concept to apply in polyamory. Like, you invite me, you invite 40 people that are attached to me. 
you know, in our culture to see in like a sitcom, like a woman telling a guy to put away his video games. Right. Is a really common sort of thing. And so I feel like that's sort of more what he's responding to. And he's like, I have my autonomy. He means I want to have a relationship with more independence. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's his argument is that I'm expecting use of default time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When default time is supposed to be our own time to do with what we want, sometimes it gets spent in the same room with other people, but it's still default time. And it's his argument was I was expecting use of his default time. And that infringes on his autonomy. I think you're great to just respond with, you need to tell me if default time is off limits then in some way. Right. Either symbolizing or otherwise. You need to sit down and go, I know we're in default time, but leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> well, and that's kind of my response was like, default time's a gray area. Yeah. Because default time, like socializing with the kids and, and other family members and friends and stuff happens in default time too. So default time's a gray area. Yeah, and, and any negotiation that you can work out works. Like maybe the opposite will be the case, that the default will be the assumption that if he's near you, he's not near you. And that you agree that basically you'll start everything with, hey, can I get your attention? I would like to have a conversation with you and assume you don't want to have a conversation with me unless you say otherwise. Granted, I feel like after 700 repetitions of that, He'll be like, so can we have the headphones or the post-it note? But (laughs) (laughs) so I think that that'll end up being more annoying. But right. I mean, it's a gray time. You have left it ambiguous. The entire point of the determining default time, as I understand what you've explained, is that it is ambiguous time. And if the time is ambiguous, then it's not clearly for or against. What you are asking is a communication standard, that you have a standard for communication at any time, anywhere, default or otherwise, that if I'm trying to communicate with you, you pay attention to me and don't try and split your attention. And like, we know that multitasking is not possible. There's so much brain research that proves it. Like the whole let's multitask thing is BS. You do not do it. Your brain never does two tasks simultaneously. It swaps back and forth relatively quickly between them Mm -hmm. with a lag and an information drop every time it switches. So you are not getting the entire plot of the show you are watching if your phone is in front of your fucking face. What you're talking about is, I would like to renegotiate our communication standards. Yeah. And what he is talking about is, I would like to have a way to signal that I want to be unavailable. And this is why I think a small physical signal is easier, because it's nice for a lot of reasons. Like, I might just want to be in the space downstairs and not really be thinking about where my body is. And I can go ahead and slip my headphones on. And now if I wander upstairs, wander past a partner, wander into a room, everyone in every room knows, like, I'm not really there. Not mentally anyway, that I'm in my own little mental universe processing something. Right. And that's comfortable for me. And I enjoy that. But, you know, obviously at the same time, it also allows me to do things like just take off my headset. And for me, those sort of indicators are socially less jarring than having to go, you can talk to me now. Stop talking to me now. <laughs> so actually, I, need, I need a status. I need a flag or something. Yeah. Right, and that's what this does without being that, you know. So I think I think we covered that pretty well then. The major takeaways are what? The most important one we realized after a very long story was that rights discourse is written and described between you and the state, not you and your partner. If your partner has created or gathered or you feel they have structural power over you in a way that is unsafe and unhealthy and they're leveraging that power to get what they want, that's an autonomy violation. If 
If they're not doing those things... It has not. Autonomy is not about them being mad at you for things they dislike. It's not about relationship fit. Social censure is not part of rights discourse. Social censure is how we find people that we fit with, communities that we fit with, spaces that are healthy for us. It's how we navigate and negotiate differing needs and desires and relationships. Saying someone isn't allowed to have negative emotions about the behaviors you're choosing to have is trying, ironically, to leverage societal pressure that you don't have the right to leverage against your partner. If anything, that is the breach of autonomy in the scenario described. I don't really think that is, but if you're trying to say you're literally an objectively bad person for violating autonomy for being upset with me, you are probably the person violating autonomy unless there's a case for abuse somewhere. It's a gaslighting kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. Like, your emotions are invalid because you're violating universal objective morals. Right? Right. That is gaslighting. Yeah. It's just gaslighting. What you should be doing in a situation then is navigating or negotiating relationship dependence and interdependence. The level of interdependence you want is a core part of relationship fit. These are the technical points. We have like the theoretical points. The technical points are when you're having the discussion about communication, some of the tools that we suggest are coming up with a system that allows you to check out and probably asking someone before you check out. I forgot to say that, but I do also usually ask if there's anyone home when I check out that I'm going to put my headset on. Right. I'm about to put my headset on and just be gone for an hour. Do you need anything before I do that? All right. Awesome. Yeah, I'm actually really curious since this has a, like a follow-up that you have to now go do, how well it will help you. I would love to hear yeah. it in like a month if, if you have a conversation, if it goes well, and if you implement anything <laughs> and if any of that stuff works for you. I'll let you know if uh, we need the headphones or the post-it note will work. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye, all.